Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com/results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com/results. Terms and conditions apply. For hundreds of years it was pulled like a bone between two dogs between England and Scotland. But ultimately, or, or through it all, the place somehow managed to retain this kind of sense of itself as a place apart. In this podcast, we're travelling to the heart of the British Isles, an island set apart, stubbornly independent, marked by an ancient three-legged motif small, proud, with a deep history. On a clear and bright day, from the top of its highest mountain, you can look out and view seven kingdoms, so they say. I'm stepping out across Britain to discover 100 remarkable places that have shaped you, me and the whole world. I'm Neil Oliver, and this is my love letter to the British Isles. Hi Neil. Last week we turned the pages of Magna Carta, an iconic, world-famous document that helped lay the foundations of democracy. Where are we now? We're off to an island that sits right at the geographical heart of the archipelago of the British Isles. It's a place that often gets a bit forgotten uh, in the history of these isles. and It's it's even overlooked by by most people when they think about the British Isles. But climbing the mountain at its centre gives you a chance to take in its ancient past and and to appreciate its heart-stopping beauty. The island is the Isle of Man and the mountain we're climbing is called Snaefell. I often get asked what's my favourite place in the British Isles. So I compiled this 100 contenders. The truth is I love them all. Today we're on the Isle of Man. Specifically we're looking at the view from Snaefell, the summit of the highest mountain. Um, Every time I think about Man, I just long to get back and have another look at it. You know, last week we were talking about Durham Cathedral, which is so unbelievably different. I mean, how do you compare the view from Snaefell with Durham Cathedral. 
or with any of the other places that we've talked about, but each one of them has a powerful magic for me. And to categorise the Isle of Man and Snaefell and, and to try and put it in that context of the other 99 locations that are so dear to me, and, and at any given moment, if someone asks me my favourite, I'll, I'll give an answer. But, but, but it's often, it's always different and it just, it, it depends on my mood and what I've thought about most recently. But if I'm in a certain frame of mind, the Isle of Man and, and, and Snaefell at the heart of it is, is my favourite place. It, it could be, that could, that could be an answer to the question on, a, on any given day. And I think if I had to start trying to put together why it means as much to me as it does... I think it's because it says something about how to live your life as an individual human being. It has a potent lesson about what it means to be an individual. You know, when you say the Isle of Man, most people, if they if they have any vision conjured up, I would think it's the three-legged symbol, the little three-booted legs joined at the middle will come into people's minds. And less well-known, probably, is that that image, that that motif, is uh, is supported by a little Latin motto, specifically, Cocunque Jokeris Stabit, which means something like, whichever way you throw it, it will stand. Obviously, something three-legged is uniquely stable. You know, where a, where a four-legged table can wobble, a three-legged stool can't, in the way that one with four legs or six legs can. So there's something particularly stable about having three legs and standing on it. Whichever way you throw me, I will stand. And it speaks to a lot of ideas. It's the idea that over the centuries, people have fought over ownership of man. Scotland and England, Vikings... All sorts of people have claimed it. So it's been metaphorically tossed around and pulled at. But no matter what, in its own right, it remained and remains standing. It remains stable. And there's there's a lesson there, as I say, for people to think, you know, you try, you would hope that no matter what happened to you, however you were knocked around, whatever tripped you up, you would stand you would get back up again and show to the world that you were defiant of any disaster. No matter what happens to you, if you stand up, then you're back in the game. There's a little poem, as you could call it that, by a performance artist called Rudy Francisco, American sort of performance poet guy, which you can look up, you can find him and see his stuff. I think I'm right in quoting it as... Most of what I know I learned by falling down and getting back up. The ground taught me more about flight than the clouds ever could. And that's a brilliant line. It's not the clouds that teach you to fly or that teach you to rise. It's falling down and having the will and the determination and the ability to get back up. Most of what I know I learned by falling down and getting back up. The ground taught me more about flight than the clouds ever could. And that kind of attitude is is woven. It's it's another way of expressing the same idea that's there in the three-legged motif, that's there in Kokonkujakera's stab at whichever way you throw it, it will stand. Or whichever way you throw me, I will stand, if you want to personalise it. 
So there's something very positive and determined about man. And amongst many other things, that's why I love it the way that I do. When did it first get its motif? Good one, good question. The, the, um, the Latin phrase is no more than the 18th century. I'm pretty sure. I don't think it's been around any longer than that. The, the three-legged symbol, though, is ancient. It's a triskelion, technically. When we were at Newgrange, for example, in Meath, in the east of Ireland, and, and it was that idea that there's a, the chamber with a passage leading to the outside and the sunlight on midwinter's day creeps slowly along the passage and then it finally it illuminates a triskelion that was etched four and a half, five thousand years ago into a monolith inside the chamber. And the triskelion, it's so old, there's no written record of what it meant to the people that first carved it or first made that shape. So it's hard to say exactly what it means or what it meant to the first people that made it. But it's generally thought to represent something about the constantly unspooling thread of time. It, it has in it connotations of, of eternity, that life, perhaps, or time, is, a, is an endless thread, unspooling. And, it, and so the spinning triskelion, or, the, or, the, or that shape, is supposedly suggestive of that idea. So while the phrase about whichever way you throw me I will stand is probably only hundreds of years old, a few hundred years old, the triskelion is so old we can't say because there it is 5,000 years ago in, in Newgrange and it's in other places around the world, similarly ancient. So what is there on man as its symbol is older than old. So it's very hard to say where exactly that, that image comes from. It, it goes back to a time before people were writing anything down. If you looked at the archipelago of the British Isles from above, you know, from, from space, if you were to try and pinpoint the geographical centre of the whole archipelago, the whole thing, England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, you'd pretty much put your finger on the point where the Isle of Man is. So for, an, for, for a love letter to the British Isles, there's a central point with the Isle of Man. It's right there at the middle. It's also a kind of constitutional anomaly. Most people will know that the Isle of Man is kind of independent within the context of the United Kingdom. But it, it is and it isn't. It's independent, but it's also like the Channel Islands. It's, it's under the protection of the United Kingdom. But, but it does, in constitutional terms, stand a little bit apart. The Queen, for example, is known there as the, as the Lord of Man. She's got a different title. So the monarch, the, the reigning monarch, is the Lord of Man. They have their own parliament, which is called the Tinwald. And some people, audacious types on man, say it's the oldest parliamentary gathering of its kind in existence. And it, it certainly has Viking Norse roots because the Vikings had man for a while. And they, maybe in the 800s, let's say, established something called the Tingvoller, which has been sort of rendered down to us, corrupted to some extent, as Tinwald. But it comes from Tingvoller, uh, which is, I'm not quite sure of the precise translation, but it's something like the gathering place or the field of the gathering. And it certainly, it certainly suggests a place where maybe the community leaders 
would have gathered to make decisions about the whole place. Uh, and quite in a quite a satisfying way, the Parliament has three chambers, or if you like, three legs, like its motif. So there's the House of Keys, keys as in the thing you would open a door with, and that's the elected body. And then there's also the Legislative Council, and the members of the House of Keys elect from within themselves the members of the Legislative Council. And then you've got the Tynold Court, which is the two acting together, acting in concert. So you've got the House of Keys and the Legislative Council. When they when they act together, that's the Tynold Court. But there's essentially three elements to the Parliament. Now, there's a bit of folklore around it. No one's quite sure if it is the oldest Parliament in the world, but it's right up there. And it has been around because of the etymology, because it goes back to Norse times. It's certainly of great antiquity in terms of the age of parliaments anywhere. You know, Britain proudly describes itself as the mother of parliaments. Well, within that, the Tingvaller on the Isle of Man maybe, maybe the earliest yet. So that's satisfying. And the Isle of Man has its own language, which is Manx, M-A-N-X, which is a version of, well, it's probably closest to Irish Gaelic, but it's, it's another variation of those earlier languages that predated English. So before the Romans, before, before the Anglo-Saxons brought English, uh, the peoples of these islands in England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, they spoke versions of Gaelic, Gaelic really, also called Brythonic, but they're old fruits from an, an elder branch of the same tree. And so the first people, obviously, that came into our part of the world after the ice melted 10,000, 12,000 years ago, they had a language. They spoke, and it would have been one of the Indo-European languages that ultimately come out of the Indian subcontinent, really. You know, they've got roots that go back to proto-Indo-European languages, Sanskrit and all the rest of it. And by the time those, hunt those first hunters arrived in our part of the world, they were speaking a variation of that ancient language. And then as the tribes broke up a little bit within the British archipelago, variant forms of that language established themselves. So you've got Welsh, you've got Cornish, you've got Irish Gaelic and Scots Gaelic. And they're, they're not quite the same, but they're related. They're cousins rather than brothers and sisters. But in any event, on the Isle of Man, they've got their own language. Which is also great. It's another. It's another way in which it stands slightly apart. Um, th there's the Manx cat. There's a there's a species of cat that has no tail. So some sort of evolutionary mutation has has taken root there, and the Manx cat is a tailless cat. And the local folklore, which is great, has it that the the Manx cat was the last creature to jump aboard Noah's Ark, just as he was shutting the door. And although it squeaked in at the last minute, its tail got nipped off, right? So, which is very, which is very uh, satisfying. So there's all this just fantastic, unique strangeness, oddness, oddness in the best possible way about man. You've got this place that's at the geographical heart of the British archipelago, these British Isles that I love. It's right there at the centre of it, as though everything else were orbiting around it, spinning around that central point. But it manages to stand apart from all of it. It's not Irish, it's not Welsh, it's not English, it's not Scottish, it's not Norse, it's Manx. 
it's its own thing. And I love that. And the reason that I, that I nominate Snaefell, you know, you go up, you go up on a wee train. So there's a wee sort of narrow gauge railway that, that goes up to the top. You can sit in it in, in compartments. You go up to, you go up to Snaefell, and when you get up there, if you're lucky enough to be up there on a clear day, they say that you can see Seven Kingdoms from the summit of Snaefell, because obviously you're looking down on on man itself, but then you can also see. England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. That gives you five. But then there's the sky above, or heaven above, and the ocean below, seven. So there's this idea that if you're up there in perfect conditions and you sort of spin through 360 degrees, you can see seven kingdoms. They're just 33 miles long and 13 across. It's not a big island, is it? It's small. It was left behind. It's been an island since the, the sea levels rose at the end of the last ice age. So, when more of the world's oceans were locked up in the ice, the seas were lower. There would have been a land bridge between Ireland and the British mainland. But then with the rising sea levels, it created the Irish Sea and flooded it. And, and man, and Snaefell, I suppose, sits up high enough that it's, it's still above sea level, obviously. It's a creation of thousands of years ago, geographically or geologically speaking. What's the main town called? Douglas is the capital and when you walk along the seafront there there's something slightly otherworldly about it. it it always makes me think of summer holidays I had when I was a little boy being taken places there's something slightly kind of old it reminds you of the past in a way and there's hotels with names like the Imperial and the Empress and the Savoy that hark back to a kind of older grandeur. Man itself, it comes from Mananan Mac, which means the son of the sea. And so Mananan was the god, in folklore terms, tasked with taking the spirits of the dead into the underworld. And so it's sort of shortened from Mananan to man. And either, depending on who you listen to, either man is named after him or he's named after the island. Depends who's telling the story. Either the island gave its name to the god or the god gave his name to the island. But there's just all this um, wonderful mix of slightly strangeness about man. It's also beautiful. I mean, if, you, if you're on, if you're on Snaefell on a clear day, it's, you know, it, it's stunning. Although you're at the heart of the British Isles when you're there, you do very much feel as if you're <laughs> a long way away from the rest of the British Isles because it feels so different and because it has its own atmosphere, its own kind of attitudes and its own, its own way of being. So there's this lovely paradoxical sense of being right at the heart of the British Isles but being in a place apart at the same time. It's famous with motorcycle fans and Isle of Man TT fanatics, but the island does tend to get a bit forgotten, doesn't it? Uh, most people never go. It's the truth of it. I mean, I suppose if you've established a family tradition, which we never did, I didn't go there as a child. I didn't go there, but it's a holiday destination. You know, harking back obviously to the days before people took flights to Europe and, and went on, you know, international holidays. Man, for some people, would have been a holiday destination for generations. And, and for some people, it still is, and it has that feel about it. But 
most of the 65, 67 million people of Britain won't ever visit the Isle of Man, which is a shame. I'm completely intoxicated by its its strangeness and the fact that you've got all these oddities about it that are that are running parallel to the to the rest of the British Isles, and it's beautiful, and it's fun, and it's you know, and it's got a great depth of history, and it's got what might be the oldest Parliament on the planet. It's also unexpected. Man is unexpected. When you go there, it'll probably take you by surprise. You know that is how it. That's how for me it makes it into my love letter to the British Isles. And I think at times like these, these troubled times, I go looking for comfort. And I've always gone looking into the past, really, and, and to some extent into places in the landscape in hopes of reassurance. I feel the need to reassure myself that whatever's happening to me or whatever's happening in this present moment is passing. You know, that this too shall pass. And so there are various places that I look to in the landscape to, to give me that. Each one of the, the places that I talk about in this love letter to the British Isles gives me a kind of comfort, a different form of comfort in each case. And when I think about the troubles going on around me, I, I try and be reassured that because of the great age of these places and the great depth of history in them, and, and what they've meant to people for the longest time, it helps me to put my, or, or today's troubles in context and think, you know, this will pass. You know, there was a world before COVID and surely there'll be a world after COVID. And in the case of, say, the Isle of Man, I think about whichever way you throw me, I will stand. There's a reminder, an encouragement in man's sense of itself that each one of us, regardless of what happens, is almost obliged to stand back up again. Otherwise, there's no point in anything. If you take, you know, if, if a punch gets you and you stay down, well, that's, it's over. But as long as you get back up, you're still in the fight. And so at a time like this, when I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, is this never going to be over? Are we, are we never going to be able to embrace the landscape properly again? Are we never going to be able to get back out into the world and treat each other like like the social animals that we are? Then I think about man and I think about whichever way you throw me, I will stand. And I think, yes, this is just the latest punch and you've just got to try and take it and stand back up. And if you're on top of Snaefell looking out, Taking it all in, is that part of what moves you? Y yes, it is because there is a sense. There is a sense if if the day is clear and you can see back across to sort of mainland UK, or or you can see across to Ireland, uh, and you can see as far as Scotland. It's a reminder of the place being surrounded by the place, it being cradled, enveloped being at the heart of it. Man is like representative of the centre of the cupped hands of the archipelago. You're right there in the middle and you're, you're embraced all around by the rest of the archipelago. So there's a, reassur a reassurance that comes 
from that, and it's undoubtedly part of what makes it special. You're reminded, literally, of the grandeur of the archipelago, and there in front of you is the whole place, and it's it's a reminder to value it, and, and not to overlook it, and not to take it for granted, and to be aware of it, and to know that it's precious, and being able to see it all in one 360-degree turn, on a bright day with the kingdom of the ocean below and heaven above in the sky and to turn and see all of the countries of the archipelagos you think yes this is all mine Do you think the island has a determined stubborn streak running through it? Yes I think so it's just I mean man has always been well, it was claimed by, it was governed by Scandinavians, Vikings. And then for hundreds of years after that, it was pulled like a bone between two dogs, between England and Scotland. But ultimately, or, or through it all, the place somehow managed to retain this kind of sense of itself as a place apart. But it's done it in that very clever way that it's, it's, it's a place apart, but it also belongs it's very clever. It's a very subtle, nuanced relationship. It's the Isle of Man. It's its own parliament, its own language, its own atmosphere. It is partially independent of the United Kingdom, but yet it's also right at the heart of the United Kingdom and belongs to the United Kingdom in a certain fundamental sense at the same time. It's independent and it's not. It's its own place, but it also belongs it's right at the centre of the United Kingdom. And, you know, and it's there equidistant with, with Ireland as well. It's right at the heart of the, the geographical archipelago, as well as belonging to the political entity that is the, the United Kingdom, in a sense, but retaining some independence. You know, it's a, it's a great oddity. They describe the Channel Islands as constitutional anomalies. Well, the Isle of Man is a bit like that, but it's also different. There is nowhere that is quite like the Isle of Man. It's just a place apart. Down through the millennia, this place has mattered to people, created by nature. Its presence and beauty have always drawn people to it. An enchanted glen shimmering with crystal-clear waters. Rock walls coated with moss and ferns, filled with stories, hopes and belief. It's one of the places where the future was invented. Next time in my love letter to the British Isles. Check out Neil Oliver Love Letter, the podcast's Instagram account, and to ensure you get each new episode of the podcast as it goes live, don't forget to subscribe, write a review and share with your friends. For further reading about these favourite destinations of mine, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the British Isles in 100 Places. It's published by Transworld. Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the British Isles is produced by Paul Ratcliffe and Neil Oliver for Fat Belly Films. Music is by Malcolm Goldie. Social media producer is Oscar CFR. Additional research is by Evie, Lucian, Archie and Teddy. 
Finance is by Catherine and Trudy. Post-production is by Althorpe Studios. And the graphics are by Paul Plowman. And special thanks to the people across history who have made and continue to make these isles such an incredible place. This has been an FBF Podcasts production. <laughs>